Hey everyone, it is Marcus here and Candice. She's back. Welcome back, Candice. Thank you. I'm excited missed, to be here. We missed you last week. Yes, I was sick, <laughs> but I'm better now. Okay. I think I think Martine was heartbroken. She was like, "No, I, I wanted to meet Candice. <laughs> I wanted to meet her too. I've yeah, I've been following her for a while, and we've been interacting here and there. So yeah, I was pretty disappointed that I didn't to that conversation with you guys. We're gonna have to maybe do a part two or something mm -hmm. and just tee it up again. But um, mm -hmm. in this episode, so this this episode's a big one, Candice. Um, the title is triggering and it's triggering even for me <laughs> the title three signs you need to stop going to church um that's a triggering title for me um I, it might even be for for people who who listen to our podcast maybe not but i'll just explain why it's triggering for me i, I think for me it's because i love the church and, and like you and i like we're, we're church planters as well um we we are currently part of a church plant. We're nurturing this church plant. And I've got an online school teaching people how to plant churches <laughs> um, and how to cultivate these beautiful, powerful communities of faith. And then I've got an episode on this other podcast saying three signs <laughs> you need to stop going to church. So it's a bit weird. It's a, it's a weird conversation for me. Um, how do you, I don't know, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I agree. I think it can be triggering for people. And I have been through this process myself of actually leaving church, um, not the church, but a church. And I have felt um, it was very difficult because I was worried about what the people would think and if I would be perceived as backsliding or leaving God and there were so many things involved and I can go into it sorry yeah. more later um yeah so I can totally relate to anyone who's feeling a bit nervous about this podcast <laughs> yeah and and I remember when we first had those conversations um this was before we planted the church that we're a part of now and I was working in in some other more traditional churches and I remember we had that conversation where you were like I don't want to go anymore and I didn't fully understand all the dynamics myself back then so even I was I was kind of like maybe a little bit like I get it but at the same time I was like but no you have to keep going you know? <laughs> and it I was, was hard it was hard for me because yeah. I was like I'm telling my pastor husband <laughs> I don't want to go to church anymore Yep. <laughs> I was like, how is this going to go down? I have yep. no idea. Um, yep. but yeah, it just, there was a lot happening at the time. And I had to honor part of myself and have that conversation. So, Absolutely. yeah, and here we and are I think, now. I think I've definitely, you know, matured spiritually in the sense that I can, I can have this conversation now, even though this podcast title still triggers me a little bit. I can definitely have the conversation now because I think back then it was certainly harder and uh, I didn't understand the dynamics that you were struggling with and dealing with. I understood them a little bit because I've always been the kind of person who's like, we need churches that are safe and inclusive and relational and as opposed to 
you know, conservative and transactional and oppressive. Like I've always been the guy who's been saying that stuff. So I got it to a certain degree and I have a big passion for connecting the gospel with people who didn't grow up in church and you didn't grow up in church. <laughs> so, so I understood it a little bit, but then there was another part of me that was like, but no, you still have to keep going and blah. Anyways, um, we're going to explore that. We're going to explore that in, in today's episode. But there's something that you said that I think is important to point out at the beginning here. I just want to repeat something that you mentioned. You said that you weren't trying to leave the church, but you, you did want to step away from a church. And I think that's an important distinction because the, the, the truth is, even though our title is Three Signs You Need to Stop Going to Church, um, we, we don't mean necessarily going forever. And we also don't mean that you need to detach yourself entirely from the body of Christ. It may just be a particular local congregation that you need to detach yourself from. And we're going to explore what we mean by that in a minute. Um, and it could also be, you know, you can detach yourself from this particular congregation and maybe there's a season that you need to recover and to heal from harm that was caused and that in its right timing between you and God, you can reconnect with a healthier community. I remember a few years ago, a really popular musician, Christian musician named, uh, well, I don't actually know what his name is. The band's name was Gungor. <laughs> I don't know. What the, I think the guy's surname is Gungor. And, and it was him and his wife, I believe. Anyways, they were like this indie band, really cool songs. And he announced that he was walking away from Christianity altogether and all this stuff. There was a big hoopla about it. Um, and But just, I think it was late last year, I saw an update of him saying, and this was a few years after he had just kind of deconstructed and left Christianity and left the church. And he posted a message saying, hey, I know this sounds weird, but I'm actually looking for a church now, right? And, um, and of course, he wasn't looking to go back to the unhealthy stuff that he had been raised with. He was looking for something different. But it just goes to show, sometimes people just need a season, right? So, um, yeah, we just want to hold space for all of that, all of that complexity in this episode. Now, I want to read a Bible verse, Candice, and I know you have some quotes you want to share as well. And um, before we wrap up this introduction and get into the next part of our conversation but the verse galatians 5 1 i just love 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 this verse and i think it speaks really beautifully into this conversation overall it is for freedom that christ has set us free stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery now here's why i love this text candace um god is speaking through the Apostle Paul, saying it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then he says, stand firm. Stand firm. Do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And here's my question. Is it possible in certain contexts that standing firm means I am not going to that church anymore? Mm -hmm. And that that's what standing firm looks like. Because that church is a place where I am burdened by a yoke of slavery, you know? Um, so yeah, anyways, that's just a little bit of a thought there. I know you have some quotes you want to share too, so I'll be quiet now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so the first one is by KJ Ramsey writes, and it says, you are allowed to outgrow old pots of communities and certainties that once held you 
now hinder you. And I think this is a really beautiful quote because it's telling us that we are allowed to grow and change and we are allowed to question. We are allowed to deconstruct certain beliefs and ideas that maybe at a certain point in our lives were really helpful for us, but now they are hindering us. Yeah, so that's, that's so yeah. true. And like, I can think even of my own journey uh, in faith, there were periods of my life where I believed certain things that I then outgrew, right? It's it's natural. And I love I loved those, those three words at the very beginning. Uh, you are allowed. And that's a really powerful phrase. And I think it's a really powerful phrase when it comes to this whole conversation because, again, the title, Three Steins, you need to stop, you need to stop going to church. And then the question, are, are we even allowed to have this conversation? You know, <laughs> like, is this even okay to, to even question whether or not it's time to stop going to church or not? And so I just love that. I love that language, those three phrases, three little words at the very beginning, you are allowed because that's the, that's the bottom line. Like, yes, we are allowed. There is no question that is too offensive for God. There's no question that's too big for him. The creator mm -hmm. of the cosmos can handle you asking, is it time for me to stop going to church? And people who say, no, that's not allowed are probably one of two things. Number one, they're probably just, they're worried. Maybe they're worried that you're walking away from God altogether, which isn't usually the case. Um, or, or maybe they're part of that system of control and they don't want to lose that control, right? And so... The bottom line, though, is you are allowed. I love that. That's a really, really cool quote. Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, KJ Ramsey writes, at KJ Ramsey writes on Instagram. She's super cool, you guys. Give her a follow. We don't personally know amazing. her. Yeah, we don't personally know her or anything. You know, we're not going to get a, a, a bonus for, for recommending her. She's just amazing. What can I say? She's amazing. Okay, so the second one is it's okay to distance yourself from spiritual spaces that are more concerned with what doctrine you believe than protecting you. Find a place to exhale. And mm. this is by Black Liturgies on Instagram. Yeah, at Black Liturgies. That is another incredible page. I just want to sit with that for a moment. It's okay to distance yourself from spiritual spaces that are more concerned with what doctrine you believe than protecting you. That is mm -hmm. powerful. Yeah. If, if I were to ask you, Candice, think of Jesus, for example. Do you think Jesus was more concerned with your ideology or with your personhood? Oh, definitely in my personhood. Mm. Yeah. And I think, and in the past, I probably would have felt it was more about what I was doing and how I was behaving. And uh, if I matched the script, that mm. now I know without a doubt that he is more concerned with me, and my heart and my character and what I bring to this world, mm. you know. Absolutely. Um, and and what what brand you adhere to in the grand 
pantheon of Protestant denominations or or yeah. what building you enter into uh, on the weekend, you know, for worship. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I remember seeing something some time ago. It was a post, actually. You shared it with me about a guy who wanted to, it was on a, like a therapist chat and there was a guy who wanted to get into the religious trauma conversation. And then a very wise therapist asked him, are you doing this in defense of ideology or are you doing this in defense of people? Mm -hmm. Because if you're doing it in defense of ideology, like, oh, I want to get into the religious trauma conversation to defend ideology that I adhere to, you're going to harm people more and more, you know? And I, I just thought that was so brilliant because Jesus, man, Jesus said some stuff that was so ideologically offensive in his context, particularly in the religious sphere. It's part of what got him killed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he did things that just weren't allowed. You weren't allowed to touch lepers, dude. You weren't allowed to have dinner with tax collectors or let a prostitute, you know, into your circle of of into your social it just wasn't allowed that's not okay and jesus is like meh don't care you know like that's mm. exactly what i'm doing um and what what i loved about her comment as well was the spirit behind what she was saying there was this advocacy there for the people that this person was planning on speaking to so she was jumping in straight away with this advocacy like keep these people safe if you're going to do this make sure those people are safe you know their their, their personhood their safety everything about them is the priority not some idea or belief or rule that you have you know and makes me think about church imagine if we all had that same sense of advocacy towards each other you know yeah. We probably wouldn't be having a lot of these conversations that we are now. Yeah. And and I feel that a lot, although this is a very big conversation on its own that we'll have to have at a separate time. But I feel that a lot when it comes to the LGBT experience in the church. Because, and I've said this to people in the past, you know, I'll have people in church who are like, oh, but, you know, what does the Bible say about this? And what does the Bible say about that? And, you know, all these questions and i'm not saying the questions are bad people people have questions about it not just in christianity you know the questions are are present in judaism and different religious traditions as well indigenous traditions you know people have questions and that's okay to ask the questions but the thing that i always come back to at least in my context as a as a pastor is i don't think i need a phd in theology or a phd in what the bible says about the LGBT experience, I don't think I need that level of knowledge before I decide, hey, I'm just going to love these people, you know? And so many Christians often seem like they're stunted, like they can't make a decision. I don't know whether I should be loving to them because what is the Bible, you know? And I'm just like, dude, just love, man. <laughs> you know, like, why do you need to be nailed to the wall with Bible texts and complex theological acrobatics before you decide, you know what, I'm going to love these people. And I, sometimes I wonder if, if God purposefully leaves mystery in Scripture to challenge us to love without the knowing. Because every generation 
seems to have a group of people they struggle to love in the church, right? Whether, whether it, if you go back, you know, and I, I'm talking in Western context here, at least particularly my context in America, where you go back to the 1950s and people are like, oh, you know, can, can, you know, or maybe a little bit earlier than the 1950s. I wasn't around back then, but just from my basic understanding of history, there was a lot of debates about whether or not black people could be considered equal brothers and sisters in the church. You know, Martin Luther King said the most segregated hour in America is 10 o'clock on Sunday morning or 11 o'clock, something like that, you know? And it's like, did people back then need some complex, elaborate theology of race before they decided, you know what, they're human. I'm going to love them. We're, we're one, you know? And, and, and I see the same thing happening today where people are like looking for all these complex answers. And it's like, dude, I don't think that that's a prerequisite for love, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyways... I know that's another conversation. I don't want to open up a can that we don't have time to consume today. <laughs> um, I think you've got one more quote. So. Yeah, so this last one says, I'll say it again. To those who left the church for any reason, I'm sorry for the guilt trips to coerce you back. I'm sorry no one reached out to you, believed you, saw you. It was hard and necessary to leave. Your worth is inherent and not tied to attendance. You deserve to heal. And that is by J.S. Park or J. Spark 3000. Yep, yep. I, I think it's J.S. Park. Okay. Uh, and, and by the way, you guys, this is another incredible voice you would just absolutely adore. On Instagram, I, I believe he's also on Facebook, at J.S. Park 3000. He is a chaplain. I, I, I think he's a hospice chaplain. Mm -hmm. um, I believe so. Or he works in a hospital. Uh, all I know is that he's a chaplain and most of his work is with people who are dying. So, <laughs> you know, um, whether that, whether it's hospice, hospital, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it switches around, but he's just, he shares a lot of insights from the conversations he has with people who are dying right before him and he's just there for them and he's holding space for them and i don't know the guy is just out of this world incredible this the thoughts that he shares um really really recommend it i think you guys will get a lot of healing just from here hearing and reading his stuff um but yeah what a beautiful quote and i think this is kind of where i want to land the question are we allowed to have this conversation uh, i think this quote settles that question you know? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Okay. So let's fast forward a little bit. Um, there are usually certain arguments, Candace, that people use in the church. And look, sometimes they mean well, and sometimes they're just part of the oppressive cog that's spinning. Um, and these arguments are often used to do exactly what J.S. Park is talking about in this quote, the guilt trips to coerce you back, right? And so I want to explore these arguments a little bit. I think you've, you've got them written out there. Um, and just, just, just share the arguments with me. And I'd like to react just from a pastoral perspective, and I'd love your input as well. Um, but these are very common arguments that people use in churches to coerce folk that are experiencing harm and need to get away into into staying so anyways i think i think that 
makes sense. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 So a common argument that is used is a verse uh, in Hebrews 10, 25. And the verse says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And this is a verse I have also experienced. And I was told when I wanted to leave that we do need to meet together. It's so important, you know, and definitely made me feel really bad. Yeah. Um. In fact, Candice, if we're going to be very, very vulnerable here, I may have been one of the ones who used this verse. <laughs> yeah, I was being polite. Okay? <laughs> you were the one. I was the I was the one. <laughs> I wasn't one of the ones. I was the one. <laughs> yes, but uh, you know, I'm very aware that you only knew what you knew, yeah, and you also didn't see it in a malicious way. You were yeah. genuinely concerned and I could see that I could yeah. I could I was able to discern that you were doing it out of kindness so oh, uh, but it was hard because I did feel like I'm a bad person or I'm a bad Christian um, for wanting to leave you yeah. know yeah so yeah absolutely and and you know since then uh, as I've dug a little bit deeper into this topic I have also heard this text used by other people and I've cringed when I've heard them use it, uh, both in sermons and in, in private conversations. I've heard people throw this text around and, and I've been like, oh man, is that what I sounded like? So, <laughs> um, but here's the bottom line, all right? Hebrews 10.25 does command the people, the community, the church to meet together. Um, and so it seems like a natural thing to say to someone who's thinking, I need to stop going to church because I'm experiencing harm. Oh, well, the Bible commands us to meet together. You know, don't do that. Um, trust the word of God, obey the word of God, you know. And But here's, here's the thing. When you see this text in its context, which I believe all the scripture needs to be understood within its context, you can't just rip Bible verses out and apply them to any situation that you want. You have to understand the original context that it was intended for, and then you can apply it. So the original text that this was intended for was for a community of people who were enduring persecution. All right. So you had the early believers who were being persecuted by the religious class in Jerusalem, and they were being persecuted by the Romans. And the persecution was intense. They were suffering. And they were suffering so much that they were becoming discouraged. And really, the whole book of Hebrews is written to this group of people who were considering going back to Judaism and away from Christ. And, and by the way, I want to nuance that because Christianity is Judaism. You know, like it's, you know, so there's not like this wide division between the two of them which is a whole other conversation, but I just want to clarify that. But what I mean by they wanted to go back to Judaism was they wanted to go back to the religious system of the religious leaders in Jerusalem that had completely rejected Jesus, right? And so the reason why they wanted to go back was because they felt at least then were only being harassed by the Romans instead of being harassed from two separate angles, 
the religious leaders in Jerusalem and the Romans. It's a bit too much, too overwhelming. And so they were very discouraged, and they were considering, again, returning to the old ways and abandoning the way of Jesus. And so the author of Hebrews writes them this letter, and as part of his encouragement, he tells them, don't stop meeting together, right? And some people were doing that. Some people were already stopping the meeting together, but they weren't stopping meeting together um, because it was necessary for their emotional well-being because the church was being harmful to them. They were stopping meeting together because they were turning away from Christ altogether and running off, you know, go, going back to the, to, the, to the ways of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. So contextually, this text has nothing to do with people enduring harm and abuse in the church. It's not talking to those people. It's about believers discouraged due to external persecution, not internal harm. And that's a huge difference, okay? If people are choosing to say, hey, I don't want to go to church anymore because people in my community make fun of me for believing in Jesus, I would say to them, dude, don't stop. Stay connected. Those that, you know, that community is your lifeline. They'll strengthen you. They'll encourage you. They'll lift you up. You know, don't let people bully you out of your commitment to Christ. I would totally tell them to keep going. But if someone says to me, I have experienced abuse and manipulation and coercion and all kinds of gaslighting and narcissism in the church, and I'm so wounded and I'm so hurt. And, and I, I'm, I'm experiencing illness and anxiety and depression, and, and I don't know what to do. My first thing would be like, do you think maybe, maybe might be a good idea not to go to that church anymore? You know, totally different context, totally different experience. So when people- And use I, I would also add in, even if you're not experiencing any of those things, but you're also not experiencing connection you know, and kindness and love and everything that we are told the church should be, mm-hmm. you know, you just show up and you might get one hello, you know, um, you're not really being cared for and you're also not able to return that care and love to others. I would wonder if that's still the kind of place you would want to be. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because it goes back to this idea that trauma isn't only the bad things that happen to us, but also the good things that don't happen to us. And and you're right. I have been a pastor in churches, and you've been to some of them, Candice. Um, (laughs) We could tell stories. um, We have lots of stories. Many many stories (laughs) where the people were actually not that bad. They were friendly. Nobody was harming anyone purposefully, but man, you just felt so lonely there. Right. There was this sense that relationships ended the moment you walked out the front door after the main service. And it just doesn't feel real. It's like they're real until they get there and then they're somebody completely different. It's almost like Mm -hmm. this robotic zombie-like state that everybody begins to... that everybody starts to go in and you can feel that you can sense that you know 
Sorry. And I think if you embody yourself in that community long enough, it has an effect. It takes its toll on, on right. our emotional and, and spiritual health. You can't so, be authentic. You can't yeah. be real. You can't be yourself here mm. it's because you have to be like that. That's know? right. Yeah. Belonging is really about, do you match our script? And they may not be mean and saying terrible things to you, but there's this underlying unspoken expectation that you fit in or you are accepted here when you comply with the script that we have. And right. that that's tough stuff, man. That's like that subtle, it's like a, a it's a tougher type of religious harm to address because it's so subtle. It's not in your face. You know, it's not the pastor screaming uh, until his voice breaks at you. And it's not the, you know, the, the person, you know, the, the youth leader sitting you down and asking you personal questions about your private life and trying to measure whether or not you're good enough to be a leader, you know, those, and that happens in some churches, you know, there's people who are like, oh, I've just applied for this leadership position. And now in the interview, um, they're asked all kinds of really private questions, you know, uh, do you have sex, even though you're not married, you know, those types of things. And it's like, dang, dude, you know, and, and that can be very upfront and very in your face. But then there's the really subtle, like, we're not in your face, but you feel it, you know, you, you, it, yeah, it's it emotionless. Nauseous. Yeah, it's very emotionless and almost like you cannot be a human here in any way, shape, or form. Mm. Mm. Um, and it's not, I get that we have different kind of behaviors when we enter into different environments, you know. So, like the way I am at home with you, you know, um, I can be a little more relaxed and compared to if I was going somewhere else, you know, like you might have a funeral to go to that day or a wedding, you know, there's different behaviors that you will adopt in those environments. And so mm -hmm. I understand that, but this feels like on a whole other level, you know, when you're entering into a church religious space of some kind, um, I would imagine that's a place where you can be, really vulnerable and really real you know and it makes me sad that in so many cases basic human need cannot be met mm. that's yeah that's really good really good point yeah i think you've got two others so in for the sake of time <laughs> um hit me hit me with the next one okay so we go to church for god not for people mm. this one makes me really irritable but I also feel like it's coming from a place of a very rationalistic, emotionless, individualistic worldview. Yeah. Because our spiritual connection, our spirituality is not just about us alone. Everybody matters mm. it is about our interconnectedness so to say it's just for god and not for the people i just find that to be and i mean no offense very lazy thinking mm. i'm very disconnected yeah i'm very disembodied and and yeah. it's it's a cop-out too 
um, yes. in, in, in my experience. And I agree with you. And there's two things in bouncing off of what you just said that come to mind whenever I hear this argument. Oh, I know that people have hurt you in the church, but we don't go to church for people. We go for God. So you should just keep going. Um, there's, there's two things that come to mind. Well, first of all, before I mention my two things, I want to say at least one other thing, sort of like a nuance or a disclaimer of sorts. Um, there's no such thing as a church where you're not going to experience some sort of interpersonal tension. And I do think that it's important to be at peace with that, right? I'm not saying, hey, if, you, if, if there's interpersonal tension at your church, you should stop going. That's not what we're talking about here. There's interpersonal tension everywhere, at church, at work, in your family. You know, it's just part of life. And we have to learn how to navigate that and how to do it well. And there's plenty of churches that are doing their best to cultivate healthy and inclusive spaces. And, but they're not perfect because there's people there and people are people, you know, and, and, and people come with all kinds of issues, myself included, you know. And, and so whenever you have that, there's going to be some interpersonal tensions. And that's not what we're talking about. And by the way, I think probably everyone listening to this gets that, but I just want to throw that in there. We're referring more to spaces where harm is cultivated. Mm -hmm. And so harm is beyond just interpersonal tensions. We can have our interpersonal tensions and then work them out. Harm is on another level. And once we've finished working through these arguments that people used to say you shouldn't leave church, I want to explore what, what harm actually looks like. Um, but when it comes, yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. Like, you know, we're not, we're not saying, hey, leave church if, you know, you have an interpersonal tensions there. You're going to have that everywhere. We got to learn to manage that. But when a church community is harmful, and this is where I've seen this argument where people say, we go to church for God, not for people. I haven't heard that in the context of, oh, I had an interpersonal clash with, some, with someone. I haven't heard it in that context. I've heard this argument used in the context of someone who experienced very, very genuine harm. Right. And they're told... You don't worry about that. We're not here for people. We're here for God, you know? Um, and so here's two reasons why I absolutely despise this argument. Number one, the Bible is our rule of faith and practice. To go all old school here, Candice. <laughs> um, the Bible is our rule of faith and practice, right? Like, what is the biblical definition of church? The biblical definition of church, it's the Greek word ekklesia, which literally, if you translate it, it means a group of people. So when you tell someone, we don't go to church for people, we go for God, what you're literally saying is, we don't go to the group of people for people, we go for God. So my question is, if you don't go, go to the group of people for people, then why are you going? You can meet God anywhere. You know, you can meet God under a tree. You can meet him at the beach. You can meet him on a mountaintop. You can meet him in your living room. You can meet him in bed. You can meet God anywhere. When you go to the church, to the ecclesia, to the group of people, you go because of the people. This is the whole point of the New Testament narrative that the church is a community that has been called out. It's a new family. It's a new society 
it's 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 the continuation in some sense and the newness and renewal in some sense of the of Israel, right? So the church is Israel. It's in, in Israel is a community. It's a family. It's all interconnected. And so to say to people, oh yeah, you don't you don't go there for for for, for people. It's just absolute theological nonsense. You go to church for people, and like you said, it's a very individualistic approach. Uh, it's a very Western way of thinking. We are all interconnected, and fundamentally, we grow and we thrive in our spiritual life when we are in community. And the opposite is true. We experience very profound harm when that community is not healthy. And the second reason why I absolutely can't stand this argument is because it, it shames victims of harm while excusing the people who cause the harm. Mm-hmm. So we're basically saying, oh, yes, people cause harm, but you should still come because it's for God. And it's like, well, wait a minute. So you're putting the burden and you're shaming this person who feels a need to leave. You're putting the burden on them to keep coming. And then the person who caused the harm, they get a pass because, oh, you know, people are people. And it's like, no, that is not okay. I just do not stand for that at all. I think the God's honest truth is we go to church for people and to be together as a people in worship of God, in communion with God, absolutely. And that because of that, we ought to search for people who cultivate safe and authentic spaces of belonging. Shouldn't just go to any old place just because there's a group of people there who are gathering in God's name. You know, we should look for spaces that are healthy, that are going to cultivate us, that are going to empower us, not only us, but our families as well, because the people matter. So that's that's Mm -hmm. my uh, (laughs) that's my rant on this argument. And, you know, here's the thing, you guys, the argument's never going to go away. People will continue saying this until Jesus comes. But I think if we understand and we can arm ourselves with the truth, then the force of the argument goes away. And you realize like, hey, I'm not in the wrong here for deciding that I don't want to raise my kids in this environment or that I no longer want to subject myself to this treatment. You can leave 100%. Yes, 100%. Going into the last point, which I have also heard quite often, and this isn't just by you, but a lot of people, if we leave, how will the church change? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have used this one for sure. I have used this one myself, and I have grown. And uh, you have grown. I and have I'm have so come. proud of you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I I'm it. I'm not perfect either. You know, when I was when I was first in church, and I was being taught a lot of beliefs that were not really helpful. You know, I thought they were truth at the time. And with certain friends that I had in my world um, back then, I would say certain things. And now I look back, I'm like, wait a second, it wasn't right. You know, like we grow and we change, hopefully, most of us. Yeah. Um, yeah, So so if we leave, how will the church change? Well, let me tell you why I can no longer stomach this argument. (laughs) So here's the thing. First of all, I've already mentioned this 
at the beginning, I'll say it again, leaving a church is not the same thing as leaving the church. So that's an important distinction to make. Uh, although I do think there is certainly space that we need to hold for people who just detach from church altogether. Sometimes people need that for a season. There are some people who experience such a high degree of harm, they just need to unplug for the rest of their life. And there's, there's no shame in that. I just want to make that clear. Um, but here's the reason why I don't like this particular phrase. If we leave, how will the church change? First of all, it is not the responsibility of those who have been harmed by the church to fix the church. It's not their job, right? And when we say this, what we're basically saying is, you've been harmed by the church, but we are now going to add the added weight and the added pressure of you being the reason why the church gets better. And it's like, no, man. When people have been harmed, their first responsibility is to themselves and to their healing. And so I would say, if you've been harmed in the church, you got to heal. And that means in many cases that you have to step away. If you're a leader, you got to let your leadership positions go. If you're a volunteer, you got to drop your volunteer roles and just be alone with God and heal and recover. It is not the responsibility of those who have been harmed to fix anything. Now, perhaps after a, a healing journey, maybe you can help bring change. And I'm going to nuance that a little bit later on because not all churches can be changed. And it's okay to say, hey, I'm going to leave this particular community in the hands of God, and I'm just going to go elsewhere. And elsewhere, I can help cultivate a beautiful space that I wish I had. And maybe that can be the way in which you bring change. But not every individual church can actually be changed. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. Um, but I love this quote by Steve. How do I say his surname? I don't. Is it Wines? It looks like Wines. It looks like Wines. But it's spelled W-I-E-N-S. Steve Wines. Um, maybe it's Wiens. I doubt it. But <laughs> um, I love this quote by this by this guy. He says this. Blessed are those who can't breathe inside a church because of the pain it has caused, for God will meet them elsewhere. I just love that. That's beautiful. Just, absolutely beautiful. So, you know, if you've been harmed by the church and people tell you, oh, but, you know, they, they pull out the Mahatma Gandhi, you got to be the change you wish to see. You know? <laughs> um, and yes, I think that there are those of us in the church who have a responsibility to help bring change, but that responsibility doesn't necessarily fall on the shoulders of someone whose nervous system and emotions are now in a lot of pain because of the harm the church has caused. It's not your responsibility to fix or change or transform anything. Heal. That's your responsibility. Go heal. Be with God. And mm -hmm. like I said, People's journeys take them in different directions. It could be that perhaps in some stage of your healing journey, God calls you into a space of restoring or healing the very church itself. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, like I said, in a moment. Um, but at this point, all I want to say is don't put the pressure on people who have been harmed to now all of a sudden be the ones that change the church, you know? Um, I mean, chances are if they go ahead and start trying to change the church, you won't let them anyway. So... <laughs> 
you should see some of the comments I get. And I've been doing this thing for 10 years, you know, <laughs> and, you know, uh, things that I've been working on to try and bring a healthier, healthier culture into the church. And it's brutal, man, the things that people say to you. And, and, and I think I've kind of gotten a bit of a thick skin with it, but it's still from time to time still hurts. Still, you still feel it. You're like, dang, dude, you know, gotta let that one gotta, oof, gotta release that man. That one really stung, you know? <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And to expect someone who's in pain to then put themselves in a position where they're now the target of vitriolic and toxic people who want to hold on to power and tradition uh, it's just ridiculous. So go heal. I think that's that's the um, the responsibility of a person who's been who's been harmed. I don't know if you would add anything to that, but I I wanted to look at the top three signs that it's actually time to leave the church, and then we can wrap the episode up. Sure. Yeah. Let's get to that. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna share these top three signs. They're very simple, you guys. There's no you know PhD here. These are very simple signs that it's time to leave your church, and um. Yeah, I just love your thoughts on on these, if you've got any canvas. So the first one, the first sign that this is a church that you should leave is if attending this church consistently triggers intense anxiety, fear, or panic attacks. And that happens. There are people who will walk into a church and immediately there's anxiety, there's fear. I worked at a church one time that every time I drove by it and I saw the the sign, I got knots in my stomach, the anxiety, you know. And there are churches that literally build their whole culture and brand around fear. They fear monger. They sell fear, right? They're branded in fear. And if you experience this in the church community, in the church environment, I think this is one of the signs that it's time, it's time to leave. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, a lot of the experiences that we've had in these communities, they are held in our bodies, you know. So when we walk back into these spaces, it makes sense that we're triggered and we start mm. to feel panicky and afraid. And so if our emotional well-being has been compromised, um, this is when you would definitely start thinking about maybe this isn't the right kind of environment and this is contributing to my distress. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the things that I've shared before is I want you to think about someone who is in an abusive relationship. It, when a person's in an abusive relationship, one of the things you encourage them, try and encourage them to do, obviously, is to get out of that, uh, that abusive container, right? That abusive sort of environment because they need to heal. And the challenge with that is a lot of times church environments are like that. Church environments are the abusive ones. But for some reason, because it's church, because it's religious, because it's sort of sacralized in our minds, we just sort of justify it and, and we or, or we allow ourselves to be guilted into continuing to stay in that space. And so while most of us common sense wise would say abusive environment, go away, get out of there. When it comes to church, there tends to be these extra layers that either guilt us or manipulate us into saying, oh, I should keep going, you know? And what this does is it, it harms us. It harms our nervous system. It puts us in a constant state of fight or flight. 
And that can lead to all kinds of diseases in the future as well. You know, your body is constantly under that stress. There's inflammation, there's hormones raging, you know, and, and sort of uh, shooting around because of the activation. And, and yeah, that can result in biological events in your body. It can ultimately result in disease. So whether it's a church or not, you know, whether it's a spiritual experience or not, if it's an abusive environment, it's an environment that we need to remove ourselves on for our own well-being. And that leads to my second point, Candice. So this is like, you know, an environment in a church that causes overwhelming anxiety and fear. Generally speaking, uh, there are churches that have very fear-based culture, fear-based messaging. And a layer slightly above that, I would say, is churches that have a very strong guilt and shame culture. And, and this is where you have, I'll give you some examples from stories that I have been told by different people throughout the years. You'll have churches that actually celebrate uh, publicly shaming people, right? So, you know, there's the actual practice of public shaming where they throw your dirt in front of the whole congregation. Uh, or there's, there's, a, there's a, a culture of anything that you're going through, even if it's a natural part of human development, is shamed, it's attacked. So a perfect example that I've used before is teenagers as they're growing up, they get to a stage where they're asking lots of questions. This is a natural part of human development. But in these contexts, that natural part of human development will be shamed. You'll be called rebellious. Uh, you'll be called a troublemaker. You'll be, you, you know, I've, I've even heard of people who have been called Satan himself simply because of a natural development of their being and they were asking questions and they were wrestling with things and wrestling with doubt etc and there were people in the church who actually said you know you're you're a demon or you have a demon or you have satan or you are satan you know which is a very really really extreme thing to say but but these are the types of things that happen in highly controlling guilt and shame cultures and when guilt and shame is associated as well with religious teaching, so sometimes it's very overt, like what I just described, but sometimes it's also very covert. And there's this underlying sort of unspoken guilt and shame that controls the congregation, controls the people who are there. And, and it's, again, one of those things that's harder to talk about. It's harder to identify. It's almost like if you've been there and you get it, you do. And if you haven't been there and you don't get it, then you just don't because it's very difficult to articulate in, in clear language. But there can be a covert guilt and shame culture in churches as well. Um, and I think, yeah, I think if your church is like this, if it falls under this sort of description, then this could also be another sign, another indicator that this may not be the right community, the right environment for me or my family. I should go, you know? And I think cycles of shame are really tricky to recognize. And they also require a lot of support. And mm. so I think if you're wondering, am I experiencing guilt and shame in my church? You know, it's good to kind of look at, well, am I experiencing a sense of unworthiness uh, in my relationship with God? Do I experience self-blame? you know, constant fear of punishment from God. Mm. Uh, and if you're finding that this is the case, you might be in these cycles of shame. Uh, and this could be coming from 
you know, religious communities or even your home life where there might be a lot of um, religious uh, abuse or indoctrination. So, yeah, I just wanted to point that out because guilt and shame can be a very, very tricky Mm. area to recognize. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's tricky, too, because a fundamental tenet of most spirituality, this isn't true of just Christianity, but of most spirituality, is that there is a transcendent experience that awaits us as human beings. And if there is a transcendent experience that awaits us, then by default, we have to see our present being as lacking in that experience, right? And so depending on your religious tradition is how that's going to be framed. But to a certain degree, when you look in scripture, for example, it talks about sin. It talks about the guilt of sin. And this is actually an important element to recognize that properly understood can actually be very liberating. What happens in high control religions is that this notion of sin and guilt tends to get weaponized and it's weaponized in order to ensure compliance to 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 ensure um, a certain type of behavior that people adhere to a particular template or script. So one example that I often give people is that guilt, healthy guilt, might manifest as, hey, uh, that thing you did was wrong. And you can recognize that warning sign and say, okay, that thing I did was wrong. So I'm going to, I'm going to adjust my path in life so that I'm not repeating those habits or those behaviors and I'm aiming for something better. You know, that's sort of a healthy, you don't even have to be religious. That's just innate in humans, right? We feel guilty that we did something wrong and then we adjust and live a different, live in a different way. Shame is different. Shame isn't what you did was wrong or what I did was wrong. Shame says who I am is wrong. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. So guilt is an issue of altering pathways in life, whereas shame is an issue of identity. And when your identity is you see yourself as the thing that is wrong, that is not only damaging psychologically, emotionally, and, and spiritually and physically, but that also puts you in a very vulnerable position where you would be willing to do whatever the religious guru tells you to do in order to alleviate that self-loathing, right? And so in a secular sphere, a person might navigate shame perhaps through alcohol or drugs or different types of addictions. In a religious setting, a, pe a person may find themselves navigating this shame uh, through religion itself, through ridiculous beliefs and practices and, and rituals or expectations, scripts that they adopt to them for themselves that are really fundamentally bizarre in some cases, but they do it because of the belief that there's something wrong with me, like I'm the one, I'm, I'm wrong. And so I do these things in order to gain God's approval. And I've seen this as a pastor, man. People will like give tons of money to the church. And you think, oh, how wonderful. The person's donated all this money. They have such a kind heart. And later on, you discover through conversations, actually, this person gave all this money because they felt really ashamed. And they thought, if I give this money, then God will be happy with me. And, and, and I won't feel so bad about myself. You know, I even remember studying the Bible one time with a young indigenous kid 
and he'd been through a lot of difficulty in his life. And he was a really sweet kid. And I remember during one of our conversations, he said, oh, um, I, because he had gotten in trouble in his high school, him and some friends of his had gotten in trouble. And they were brought to the principal's office. And he said to the principal, I want you to punish me. Don't punish them. Just punish me. And on the surface, it sounds like, oh, the kid is kind of like trying to emulate Jesus who sacrificed himself for us. How wonderful, how noble. But I dug a little bit deeper because something didn't seem right. And it turns out that I came to discover, as we discussed and explored more, that he just fundamentally believed he was worthless. And so this expression of just punish me didn't come from a place of I want to protect my friends and I want to be, you know, noble and self-sacrificial. No, no, no. It came from a place of I am not worth anything. So you might as well just punish me, you know. And, and these are the things that tend to drive a lot of times the, um, the experience of people within the church when shame has calcified itself into their religious expression. Um, and, and again, a little bit different from guilt. Guilt isn't necessarily bad. It, it can be weaponized, but it's usually the one that's not so bad. It's the shame. It's the, this is who you are. This is your identity. And once we've got you there, it's very easy to control, you know, very easy to control you, I should add. So, um, so there's, there's one more, Candice, and, and then we'll wrap this up. And this, I think, is the biggest one. This is the one where I'm like, you gotta go. <laughs> you cannot stay in this environment. So while the first two, I would say, are definitely important, this is urgent, this last one. And it is loss of autonomy. Now, the word autonomy is a bit of a fancy word. Basically means individual freedom, loss of individual freedom. So if you belong to a religious community where you feel pressured, for example, to conform to a particular set of beliefs or behaviors within that community, and there's a lack of acceptance for individual perspectives, for questioning, um, and there's a lack of acceptance for anyone who thinks independently or thinks critically or challenges ideas, these are all signs of an environment where we're not merely trying to teach you what we believe. We're trying to take away your agency. We're trying to take away your autonomy so that you become a mere parrot of our orthodoxy or of our dogma. So honestly, I would say that this is also the prime number one red flag of a harmful religious community is the loss of autonomy, the loss of agency, the loss of libertarian individual freedom. And so once you see this red flag, for me, I think this is an urgent get out of there. Right. I think anytime you can't ask questions or express yourself or share something you're going through or a belief you had, anything, right. as soon as you cannot be who you are as a human being, then something is not okay here. Mm. Now, some people in a religious setting would push back on this and say, yeah, but the Bible says that there are standards and we have to uphold those standards. And look, I agree. You know, uh, we're, I'm not here saying that a healthy church environment is an, is an environment that says, look, man, 
if you're cheating in, on your wife, we accept you. It's, you know, it's not that great, but we're not going to, we, we don't want to control your freedom and, and your expression. So just do whatever. That's not what we're saying, you know, and nine times out of 10, that sort of stuff doesn't really even happen anyways. When we're talking about control, we're talking about all different types of things that have really, generally speaking, nothing to do with morality. So we can think, for example, back to when America was being colonized and native children who were put into these Christian boarding schools, they were banned from speaking their language. They were banned from dancing their dances. They couldn't have their hair long. They had, you know, boys had to cut their hair. Uh, all these different things. These are, you know, obviously examples that are very, very intense, but you still see examples like this in a church where you have to dress in this particular way and you have to listen only to this particular music. And even then, it can only have these particular instruments. And, uh, you know, I remember I met a guy many years ago who went to a church where it was like, you can't use any instruments in worship. And you know what? If that's your thing, if you're like, hey, we are an a cappella worshiping group. Fair enough. Do your thing. But to then tell people you have to get rid of all instruments and you can't have them and they're evil and this, that's a level of autonomy control where you're basically telling someone we have this extremely strict, narrow set of expectations that you have to comply with or else you don't belong. Uh, that is a whole other level, you know? And, and so to that, I would say, if you are in an environment like that, that is definitely a red flag where it's time to reassess your involvement <laughs> um, with, with this religious community. And the reason why is because this is actually the number one tool of cults. The number one tool of a cult is to take away your autonomy. And it's also the number one tool of a high control religion. So high control religions aren't exactly cults, although they're cultish, but it's also one of their tools, loss of autonomy. And um, any harmful spiritual environment that erodes agency, where doctrines like the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of the, the fall, Bible verses like, you know, the way that leads to life is narrow and few there be that find it, you know, like you weaponize these Bible verses to gain control over your followers. Um, and usually you can see this because there is a authority figure that cannot be questioned. So whether it's a particular pastor, a particular elder, or maybe a historical figure in the church, maybe it was a prophet that founded the church, and this person cannot be questioned. They cannot be disagreed with. You have to take everything they said literally and to the dot, or else you're not a good believer. Those are all signs that this is an unhealthy environment. Time to go. Yeah, and this, this also happens... I know we're talking right now about churches, but this is also something that happens in relationships as well, you know, marriages and even the parenting relationship. So I think anytime you see any of these signs, there is something not okay here. Yeah, absolutely. So these are three signs, Candice. I'm sure there's probably more, but the three signs... Oh, yeah. Yeah. overwhelming anxiety and fear, guilt and shame culture, loss of autonomy. I think those are the three signs that you can look at and say, mm. I think it's time to leave. And there are some people who feel like they can't leave. They don't know how to leave. And so you may not experience anxiety and panic. You may 
experience numbness, mm. you know. And usually people who can't escape, the only place to escape is themselves. And mm. so the, they will collapse into themselves. So that's where you will see this shutting down, you know. This is the, in the psychotherapeutic world, we call it feigning death. You know, it's like, I've got nowhere else to go. I'm just going to shut down now. And, and I'm frozen. I can't do anything, you know? So I think in saying that, if you are someone who may not be a victim of abuse, but you're seeing this in people in your church, you know, reach out. Don't wait for them to reach out because some people can't. Mm-hmm. Some people don't know how. And some people are so frozen. They're just so stuck. They don't they they don't have that capacity to be like, help me, you know. Yeah. So I think we need to have an awareness of this and what this can look like in members, in your community, in your church, wherever you are. So you can step out and say, Hey, I'm noticing this. Like, is everything okay? Or and I'd be there for you, like what's going on? Um, because yeah, it doesn't always look like an- anxiety and panic. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and yeah. we are actually in the future going to have a workshop, uh, a series, a workshop series available for trauma-informed churches, for cultivating a trauma-informed church. You know, what what, what does it look like um, to cultivate and nurture a church community that is trauma-informed? Uh, what is the insights that you need, the psychoeducation that you need, the tools that you need to not only identify, but to also be able to build systems and structures that ensure safety and authentic community for people. And that's something that will be coming out in the future. So so watch this space, guys, um, because we really want to make those tools available so that churches around the world, and like I said, even though this episode is titled, you know, Three Signs You Need to Stop Going to Church, we love church. We believe in church. We believe in the beauty and the power of this alternative community that Jesus birthed at his death and resurrection. And we want to see the church grow and we want to see it spread and want to see more of it. But we recognize as well that Jesus warned us as well. The apostles warned us after our passing, ravenous wolves will come who will not spare the flock, right? And we see that even to this day where there are a lot of churches are really run by ravenous wolves. And the sheep are bleeding and the sheep are suffering. And so that doesn't mean that we, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't mean we disparage the church or hate the church. It just means we really need to point this out. We really need to address this because we love the church and because we believe that we can cultivate a more Christ-like community for our world. And we need to do that. So anyways, all of that said, Candice, thank you so much. This was a really cool episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope everyone else does as well. I just want to make a couple of closing points uh, before we wrap this up. So the first one is churches that embrace fear-inducing messaging, cultivate guilt and shame culture, or practice coercion or manipulation to take away a person's freedom are, generally speaking, not, and listen to me closely, please, not the kind of churches that can be helped. Your love, care, and attention are not going to change them any more than an abused wife is going to change her abusive husband 
by being compliant and submissive. So the best thing to do in these scenarios is to walk away for your own well-being and for the well-being of your family. This doesn't mean you walked away from the church. It doesn't mean you walked away from God. It just means you walked away from a specific community or experience that is harmful to your spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being. And I say that as a closing point, sort of as an add-on to this idea that, hey, you shouldn't leave the church. You should stay and help it be better. You know, hey, newsflash, some churches can't be helped, right? Bottom line, they cannot. And the best thing to do is walk away. Now, final point that I would say is keep in mind that every context has multiple factors to consider. And walking away, as Candace mentioned just a few moments earlier, isn't always simple. So we don't want this to come across as, hey, you, wherever you are, just leave, you know? And the reason why we don't want it to come across that way is because sometimes leaving can be very, very complicated. I spoke with a coach last year who had a client who was separating from her husband, and they belong to a particular church community that's very high control. And because they belong to that church community that was very high control, every single one of her friends and family were part of that community which means she had no social support network outside of that community and no financial support outside of that community, which means the moment she left, she was on her own. There was no one to catch her. There was no one to support her. There was no one to help her. And that's a very, very tricky and difficult scenario to be in. And so we don't want to, to come across as a haphazard, hey, if these things are happening, just leave. I mean, yes, you definitely are allowed to step away from that experience, but also find a trusted ally to support you, a good friend, a support network, if it's possible. It's not always possible. And in the cases where it's not always possible, you can always reach out to any local professional support to help you navigate these complexities. And, and speaking of local professional support, I wanted to mention if you are in Australia, there is a really good resource. Um, if you go to 1800respect.org.au, uh, you can access support um, via chat, text, or you can call them. And there's also resources on there. So even if you're not in Australia, you can check out the resources and look at what are the signs, you know, just to get some ideas around what spiritual abuse looks like. Um, and spiritual abuse in relationships as well and families. So not just the church itself. Very, very Sorry. cool. Very cool. So yeah. that is 1-800-RESPECT.ORG.AU. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. Awesome. We'll have it in our show you're, notes as well. Yeah. And if you're not in Australia, just check out what's in your local area just so you can get some resources in case you are noticing something. Uh, in your church space with somebody and you want to be able to reach out for help, but you're not sure how. All right. With that said, thank you everyone for hanging out with us for another episode and we will catch you guys next week. In the meantime, really want to encourage you guys to download our app. Uh, this is specifically designed for people who are deconstructing and reconstructing their faith. So I understand that that may not be for everyone. 
But for those who are in a place where they're like, I want to see the heart of God through scripture. I want to heal these negative, toxic messages that I've been raised with and see God in a different way. That's what the Hunger app is. It's the number one trauma-informed Bible devotional app available for Apple and on the Google Play Store for Android. And it's only $4.99 a month, you guys. And there are lots of plans that you can follow, devotional plans. There are courses. There are workshops. There are meditations coming soon as well. Just so much. And we're constantly updating it as well. So it's not like when you log in, what you see is the only thing that's ever going to be there. We're constantly updating it. There's new content arriving every week. So please subscribe to that app, download it, become a premium paid subscriber. You will be really, really, really blessed. And it also helps us as well because the more paid subscribers we have, the more content we can then create and the more support we can offer in this space. So check that out, guys. And that is at hungerpodcast.com slash the dash app. So that's hungerpodcast.com slash the dash app. Or you could just go to hungerpodcast.com and you'll see the button there that says the app and just click that. All right, guys, take care. God bless. And we will catch you next week.